Hello, and welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom, here with Philip Sipe again today. And uh, we're going to talk about all of the past three episodes all together once again in a fatherhood episode. We have appearance, uh, violence, and then last episode we discussed testosterone. Um, in no particular order, I kind of just said those as I remember those. Uh, which one would you like to tackle first, Philip? Um, I think we could probably just tackle them in order, uh, the order that we did them. So I guess violence would be the first one in that case. Yeah, that's correct. And, and I think that'll kind of uh, give us a good full circle here. Um, and, and yeah, I, uh, and it's one that I have, I think there's a lot of, um, I, I have some strong feelings about in regards to teaching young masculine presenting folks as they grow up. Uh, this was something that was like very important in my own, uh, you know, growing up, my own, like as my parents raised me, this was something very important because like a lot of young boys, I was very fascinated with violence. I was fascinated with um, actions of violence. I was fascinated with like military play and um, just, I, you know, my, I, my parents frequently complained about the fact that I kind of didn't know how to play that wasn't something involving violence. And this was something that they actively tried to teach out of me isn't quite the way I would want to phrase that, but try to like teach me other like, Hey, let's, you know, let's try to you know, go some different routes with things. Um, and, and I think that had its, uh, its validity and its values. And also in sometimes it's, you know, like, um, you know, uh, where it was, it was perfectly fine sometimes, you know, like I, I still to this day, I'm very fascinated with like, like I, I have a Lego hobby and, uh, that I still today that is extremely focused on militaristic things that I build out of Legos. Um, I'm not very militaristic myself personally today. I am not a member of the armed forces, nor do I would I ever intend to be. I don't really support the military industrial complex, but boy, do I love building warships uh, and, and fighter jets and you know things of that nature. Um, and, and I think it was, but, but, uh, you know, it was, it was something that was very important when I was growing up and I think it's important. I, I find it very important today when I work in, uh, facilities with teens, because it, it's something that a lot of times these kids, I think often get bad advice from adults that is advice intended to cause them to focus on violence as an answer to their problems. And, it, and it's in thing in realms that like we often think of as fine because, well, they're just kids. Like, you know, it's telling kids of like, hey, if you're getting bullied, you need to go beat up your bully in a way that maybe works fine for kids because they are small and won't greatly harm one another, but will not work for them when they are adults and doing such things catches them an assault charge. And for a lot of these kids, that age at which they might catch an assault charge continually gets younger and younger. Um, and, and so, I mean, that's where this problem wraps around to a number of other issues in our society, but it's, you know, like teaching kids to resolve issues with violence has problems. We need to we have to be active in teaching kids in general, but especially young boys, how to solve problems and address life as a generality without relying on violence. Yeah, <clears throat> I go, this this kind of is partially informed by my own personal perspective, um, <clears throat> which is that, uh, you know, I agree in, in a principle that like a nonviolent approach is preferable to a violent one. Um, but I always feel like whether or not a problem is resolvable through violence is often dictated by whether or not the other side of the conflict is also committed to that. Um, you know, if one side's willing to use violence and the other isn't, um, you're kind of priced into doing it at some level. Um, now, th there's a degree of, of lie put to that by some examples in history. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr.'s movement become, you know, very famous for it. But in a sense, it was, you know, he, that that was 
more using their violence against them in a way, uh, in the sense that, um, you know, it forced what was systemic violence to be explicitly, obviously violent in the, in, in a ways that, um, you know, previously were more or less treated as, um, were more or less invisible to um, many, many people in a way that a lot of violence still is invisible to a lot of many, many people, but without getting into a giant deep well of like the philosophy of violence and systemic violence and all that stuff, uh, you know, roughly speaking, um, my sort of take is that violence is for better or worse, a feature of nature. Um, and to the degree that we can experience and deal with things in a nonviolent way is the degree to which we collectively um, set up systems of rules and, um, you know, just basically just systems to allow us to resolve our conflicts without explicit violence. <clears throat> and so it's it's hard on one end to like you can't teach that to a child, right? Like bringing it back to fatherhood. It's too nuanced and complicated and requires a, a broader understanding of the world and all kinds of stuff. So like, what do you teach your kids? Well, you know, kids hit, a, a, as I've said before, and I'll almost certainly say again, my experience of parenting is teaching kids something that is easy to remember, but wrong, and then correcting it later. Um, and generally where you start with is where you want them to where you where i'd prefer the world to actually be which is don't do it at all like when they hit uh which you know is kind of a natural instinct to like you get angry and you take a swipe at the thing that's making you angry um you know we say no we don't use our you know we don't use violence to solve our problems we don't do that that's not how that works type of thing and as they get older you know and start asking questions like well what if someone uh attacks me and like has me pinned or something and you say like okay well you know we taught you self-defense you know and you make it you, you start with a non-violent center and you build out exceptions from there to me and <clears throat> so that's kind of like you know i we're starting to get there a little bit with my oldest who's you know um, in third grade currently. So there's some discussions around that, you know, of like, okay, you know, he's been learning Taekwondo since he was very little. And it's like, okay, we don't use that. We only use the, these, you know, techniques or whatever to defend yourself from someone who's attacking you and who, from whom you can't get away from. Uh, and, you know, for the littlest one, it's no hitting. Don't hit, we don't hit, don't do that. Uh, and he's, you know, he's in kindergarten, he's five years old. Um, so to, to me, violence is tricky, um, is a really, really tricky thing to hit about because the reality is that the balance is there and there's an unanswered question, I think, of, uh, that's actually similar to the talk about, uh, pornography that we had in, in, in fatherhood. Um, specifically in that like it's a it, <clears throat> it, that its portrayal in media and its existence in forms of entertainment is is an, a similarly tricky thing in that you know there are if you are in a mental place where you can watch those things or participate in those kinds of video games or whatever and it doesn't seep into your life it doesn't influence your behavior if watching you know a violent thing doesn't make you more violent which it doesn't for most people then you're fine like there's nothing wrong with if it inherently it's when it starts to leak into your behavior now kids are more susceptible to letting things that they witness in media leak into their behavior so it's a really so so this kind of goes along with the pornography thing in that not that kids are watching pornography but more just like when your children are young and impressionable and they are going to inevitably consume media that media is inevitably going to have problematic elements to it 
the goal isn't to make sure that they only experience media that is completely not problematic because there's no such thing. Uh, you can't sanitize them from all media. That's ridiculous. Um, and it frankly wouldn't prepare them for being an adult. Uh, so to me, the sort of approach here has been just be very active at saying what you see in shows, what you see in video games, and what you see is not what things are like in real life. They are made up fantasies for the purpose of telling a fun story or having a fun game to play or whatever. You should not treat these things as if they are representative of the real world. And you should definitely not take the solutions and outcomes presented therein as reflective of what you will get if you replicate that in the real world. So, you know, obviously I don't say that in full to my child every time, but it's, you know, it's things like um, if I see him doing a thing from a video game in a way that's not good, you know, it's like, hey, you know, we leave that stuff in the game. We don't bring it out to the real world because it doesn't belong here. You know, we don't like, you know, I've always said if your games start to affect real life, real life takes priority. And you don't get to ever say like, but I was playing a game. I was just pretending any of that stuff. It's like, no, there's no just pretending. You hurt someone and it doesn't matter if you're pretending when you hurt them. You stop and make sure they're okay and apologize. I agree completely. And it's, and, and yeah, I think this resonates a lot with like when I was growing up, my parents uh, did, I think did a really good job with this, even though I maybe didn't like it at times at the time. Um, but I mean, like, but at the same time, I also had like a much freer growing up than a lot of kids around me did. I, you, despite feeling, of course, not like I did have the freedom that I had. And this was, uh, by this, I mean, Grand Theft Auto was, you know, huge when I was a kid. And I think this is an excellent example of where my parents at first, Grand Theft Auto was off the table. Like, no, you are not going to play Grand Theft Auto. This is not a game that is appropriate for you, and it's not going to be a thing. And I remember it kind of gradually making its way into my video game library as, and I mean, like at the time, there was some other elements involved in this uh, where, you know, maybe my parents didn't entirely agree with one another when I should have it. But there was also a lot of, yeah, this making sure I was ready to understand the difference between a video game world and the real world before I fully had access to you know, that game. Also, movies with more rated R material that was more violent uh, in nature. Uh, you know, making sure that I had some like comprehension and understanding of like that this is media and not reality, and that in real life consequences have much stronger uh, actions have much stronger consequences than they do in media. Um, and this is something that I think is very important for all of us. Uh, this is something I hit on a lot of times in my own kind of rants about how people don't see the difference between reality and media. Uh, and especially when we talk about like, you know, the realm of violence. Um, yeah. And I mean, but in saying that though, I think it's also important to recognize that like, you know, when we talk about how, you know, like, uh, when we kind of get frustrated at kids for not understanding the difference of in the consequence of violence in real world and video games, it's important to understand that adults who have not been exposed to real world violence very infrequently understand the real weight of real world violence and how that does not replicate in video games and TV. Uh, a lot of us are uh, like very naive to certain things. And uh, I think it's important to remember that when working with kids of they have not seen they, they haven't experienced the things that would give them that framework to understand that stuff in the real, real world. And you can't, you, there are some frameworks you can't teach a person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, violence is such a hard one. And I, I still don't, I, I don't think there's, there's like a known right way to do it. I mean, like, obviously there isn't, I guess, but like, um, to me, when it comes to this sort of thing, particularly when it comes to fatherhood, perhaps this is just what I tell myself so I can sleep at night, but uh, I, 
I feel like there is a degree to which like if you're thinking about it and trying to be thoughtful about it and just trying to come up with some strategy, you're probably doing okay. Like, like a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, cultures, uh, subcultures and whatnot in the United States just have a completely cavalier attitude towards this. Like, oh, whatever. Like we don't, you know, sure. Yeah. We tell our kids not to hit each other, not to make, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like everyone kind of does that baseline thing mostly like, uh, you know, when it's really obviously bad. Uh, but like, there's a lot of like, um, about the only, the only, uh, you know, violence, uh, there, it's, it's hard to get into, uh, a lot of like very specific details because everyone's experience with this, once you get down to the, to the weeds, like is going to be unique and different. Um, but there, I, I have just witnessed a lot of, um, parents who, um, do not even think about violence as a really important thing, you know, beyond telling kids not to hit each other. Um, uh, and don't like expand, like, uh, frankly, for example, uh, spanking goes completely unexamined by uh, a whole lot of parents in the areas that I live in. And, uh, to me, that's, I mean, that's scientifically proven to be harmful to children. So like, uh, I think that a lot of violent education, unfortunately, uh, comes from uh, experience of violence from <laughs> uh, parents. So don't speak your kids. It will teach them that violence is a solution to a problem in a very, very real and harmful way. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, and I mean, and that, and like we've talked about with a lot of things in this uh, show, uh, this isn't to demonize parents who have spanked their kids or any of our parents who may have spanked us as kids. Um, you know, this isn't about the past. It's about the present. Like, um, it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, not that it doesn't matter what happened before, but it's it's about being better as we move on. And yeah, and like the data that we have, uh, the, the everything we know of today tells us and shows us the spanking is bad. We really shouldn't be doing it. And it's not a thing of, well, we need to uh, do less of it. Uh, no, just in general, using physical uh, striking to as, as a form of punishment teaches people that physical striking of a person as a way of solving issues and of dealing with conflict. And that's bad. It's not a good way of going about it. Also, punishment in general. Uh, it's not to say that you shouldn't ever use punishment, but punishment in general as opposed to positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement just generally shows much lower results. Uh, it's not the most effective way to address most issues according to the data. And I know there's going to be a lot of parental uproar possibly from me saying that but you know i i get that i'm not a parent I'm, i may change my mind on that but speaking from the data no no i mean i'll 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 back you up on it you know i uh you know i got spanked as a kid um and i don't harbor any ill will to like my parents i think you know like everyone that turned you know or not everyone but uh like a lot of people that were spanked as children, you know, I, I feel like I turned out okay, but I definitely feel like, um, that experience did not, was not um, on the whole beneficial for me. Um, and, uh, I love my parent, both of my parents, you know, very much. Uh, and I w wouldn't demonize them for it. You know, I don't go around saying my parents were awful, uh, and they weren't, you know, but the, the reality is, is just like, you know, it's just not good about the only, like, basically it's well known that the effect is, uh, it, it increases short-term compliance at the expense of long-term aggression and mental health. So, uh, you have, it's, it, it's the, it's a thing that is, I, I have come across a situation in which I felt justified to do it exactly once. And it was, my kid was reaching as a as a uh, 
toddler was reaching for the power button of my computer when I had a bunch of unsaved work and did not have time to click on every window and hit save. So I slapped his hand away uh, because that was the only option I had to not immediately lose like hours and hours of work. So, uh, and anytime, any other time that I have ever uh, like lost my temper and used any sort of physical methods with my kids, I feel a deep shame about. Um, and always wish that I could go back and do a better job um, at controlling my own emotional state or coming up with a better way of handling the problem. Um, I've never felt good about it. Um, and it's, um, it, 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 I don't think it, it I, I have seen both with both kids and the times where I have done that, that their uh, tendency to use violence to their frustrations and problems has increased when they see me participate in that kind of behavior. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I will back you up on that till, uh, you know, as long as I have a voice, because I just think that it's pretty clear at this point that it's not something you should do um, if, if you can at all avoid it. And I've never done it, uh, uh, except at times where um, I have like what that in retrospect, I would say it was a poor decision. It was bad parenting on my part. And in like reactionary decisions like that, it, it happens. It wasn't like you made a conscious thought out. Okay. So this happened. Now I'm going to counter react with this action And which I mean, that's where, you know, I think we can more easily pick apart parenting decisions than if, if it's yeah, in a situation like that, where you, you see a disaster about to unfold and your brain just jumps to to a to a solution to keep that from unfolding um you know that's that's it's 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 reactionary it's not you know not to say that it's the decisions we make while reacting are the best decisions to make but uh, i think there's a lower level of um i don't think we have to feel quite as guilty about yeah like slapping a hand away is like you know, I, I certainly remember uh, at times having my hand slapped away, usually because I was about to do something very dangerous. Um, and it was uh, like, yeah, my dad is occupying and doing something else and I'm reaching for the table saw like an idiot. And he's like, no, what are you doing? Why did you do that? No, now you can't be out here with me. Um, and it was, yeah, you know, like something like that. Of, well, I'm trying to keep you from cutting your fingers off, kid. Um you know, and it's uh but yeah i i think there's a lot of validity to all of that and it's like you said earlier it's just if you're processing this stuff if you're thinking about this stuff and finding ways to improve as you move along because that's the thing is like we we all make mistakes we all have a learning curve and we all should be looking back on our previous actions and seeing ways that we can improve on those. And as long as we're doing that, we're probably heading in the generally right direction. I mean, when we talk even about, you know, spanking, uh, if I, you know, when, if I was my parents' age, when I had my first kids, I would probably have a very different attitude towards spanking. Um, oh yeah. You know, it's, uh, they were taught by their parents who were taught by their parents who were taught by their parents. And that was just the way things were done for them. I was in college when I was like, Oh, well now we're going to, we were talking about behavioral science and behavioral psychology. And I remember when it came up of spanking and I remember my very first thought being like, Oh, and I have to listen to these, like, you know, the way I felt like it was, um, there was a big class divide between me and a lot of other people in college. And I really kind of felt like, oh, great. I got to listen to these like wealthy, uh, naive people complain about how harsh spanking is. Like, here we go. Whatever, guys. And uh, that was the first time we're ever like, you know, like it actually made sense what we were talking about. And I was like, oh, wow. OK, maybe I was looking at this wrong. Maybe I need to reprocess this thought. Uh yeah yeah i mean and and i think there's i think spanking sp particularly has is something that has so many emotional divides in our culture that cause us to want to be inclined towards or against it not because of effectivity but because of cultural divides uh and because of kind of culture war stuff that 
folks who are uh, uh, of lower income, you know, you know, I mean, there's a class divide that exists there that I was on one end of. There is a race divide that exists there. That some folks are on a, a different spectrums of. There's just a lot of different divides that cause folks to be pro or against banking. And I think we often lose the, uh, the thread of the information in the process. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's also a lot of um, perhaps subconscious self-defense in that, like, um, you know, people in general react negatively to being told that something that happened to them as a kid that they don't perceive as harmful was harmful to them. Um, <clears throat> and it took me some, some getting used to the idea. Um, I, um, you know, it's telling that a lot of people's first defense to spanking is I was spanked as a kid and I turned out fine. Um, the, the it, it's, there's a lot of um, processing of that, that did not occur, I think. Uh, and um, that's going to be the hurdle to get over, I think. But I, I think fortunately, you know, there's the the evidence is pretty clearly in now in a way that it wasn't when we were kids um it was there was some evidence and it was pretty strong but like at this point like i i don't think anyone can go to um pr pretty much no one goes through uh you know whatever appropriate field and comes out thinking like yeah spanking is totally fine like yeah <laughs> no problems at all yeah um, like, that's whatever not evidence... a thing anymore yeah, like whatever evidence there was in the 90s wasn't nearly as available to folks as it is today because information travels so much faster and so much more widespread today than it did then. Right. Um, shall we move on to appearance? Yeah. Um, it's an interesting one. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts on it? Um, so I, I have uh, quite a few, but again, my experience with this is more in working with teens and, uh, and it's, it's something that I, I, I well, I mean, I think it, in, in college, in talking about child development, this did come up earlier in age and about the importance of allowing kids the freedom and the, um, self the word there is escaping me, but you know, of giving the of giving kids the ability to at times choose their own outfits and choose how they wish to dress, so that they can feel uh, competent and confident in their own decision making abilities, was something that we often talked about in child development as something that's very important in like early elementary years. Now that being said, I don't have much experience uh, in the firsthand world, and I don't think that the field of psychology, as I have previously talked about in this episode, I don't think the field of psychology is a uh, tremendous and uh, unhampered wealth of information. I think it's wrong about some things. So I have no strong opinions about when, when we're talking about this in, in, in young kids. But I do uh, find, when I talk with teens a lot more, you know, like I work with teens now, and I find this to be something very important uh, in uh, teaching teens and mentoring teens. There's a lot of importance both in fostering and allowing this impulse that teens really start to develop as they, you know, as they become like, as they become very socially competent and very socially focused. It's very important for them to be able to find their identity, shape their identity, and then display and and feel comfortable within their identities and i think that is something that is very important to development of folks when they are in their teenage years i think that uh, self-expression is very important and i think we have to have a very understanding platform of of respecting you know uh, teen, teen individual individuality in the way that appearance and dress comes up and I, I think this is something that adults often fixate on things in regards to this that just don't matter. Uh, and, I, and this is something that I think is very important in a lot of realms of like philosophy and thinking about the world is what is the effect of uh, intended effect of what you of the actions of which you want to see in the world. So if you are really wanting 
um, somebody to dress a certain way, well, what is the intended effect of that action? What's the intended effect of them dressing that specific way? And I think a lot of times with teens, the way we expect them to behave, and I mean, when I say this, I mean like things like when I was in high school, and we still see this in a lot of schools today, this thing of like, you cannot wear hats inside of a building. What's the reason for that? There really isn't one. It's like something about respect, but I mean, adults wear hats into buildings all the time. Like, nobody cares about that. Maybe that was a big deal in the 1940s, but it's really not a thing today. There's no reason for it. And arbitrary rules infuriate teens, rightly, and make zero sense for us to pick up on arbitrary things like that to pass it along to kids. It doesn't affect anything. The effect that we're seeking for is it doesn't exist. So I, I think that's just something important that I think folks as adults and as mentors should always keep in mind. Is there an effect to what you're focusing on? Because if there's not, you should probably focus on something else. And then my last real big topic, my last real big take on appearance is the importance as, uh, as we're looking at like late teens and young adults as people are entering the job field as young men and masculine presenting folks are entering the job field teaching the skills and abilities of dressing for situations and environments. And this goes beyond, you know, the kind of arbitrary stuff of like, well, always wear a tie to a, you know, job interview. Well, in 2021, actually wearing a tie to a job interview is not very common and People sometimes look at you really weird. Like you can definitely go into a lot of job interviews where that's just not going to be like normal and it's going to make you stand out in a not great way. Um, wearing a suit to a job interview is very beneficial in certain job interviews in certain environments. In other environments, it's not going to be a good thing. Uh, I, I ran into this actually when I was like 18. I interviewed for a uh, school janitor position and... Um, I did not get it because I showed up in a full three-piece suit and uh, the guys in janitorial thought I was a joke because, like, I'm in here in polished shoes for a janitorial position. Learning how to dress for environments is something extremely valuable to learn as young as possible. And then to understand that those environments, you know, those costumes, if you will, that you put on for those specific environments are a tool and that not that those aren't like a way of life. You shouldn't lean on those as like, and so that is how I exist in life. No, that's a tool that you use moving forward when you have to, but real you should be real you. Find this individual that you are, express that individual, and live your best life because we all only get one life and uh, it makes no sense to hide that life for arbitrary reasons. Yeah, and... <clears throat> it's a man it's it's a really interesting stuff thing like your use of the word costume there is perfect to me uh there's a very very sense uh uh very clear sense of me to me of a lot of stuff being um there's a lot of stuff in society that's like uh reasonless or at least the reason has long since disappeared. Um, and um, a friend of mine has a uh, uh, way of handling this that I've adopted with uh, his kid, which is uh, just you just be honest with your kids when these things come up. It's like, why, why can't I wear a hat to school? Um, well, there's not a good reason, uh, but it's the rule. And if you wear a hat to school, you'll get in trouble. Um, if you're asking why they have it that way, there's not a good reason. And, uh, you know, it's not the time to argue about it when you're at school in front of the principal. Uh, like, why do I have to wear a shirt into McDonald's? Um, well, there's not really a good reason for it. Um, they could probably serve you shirtless and it would be fine. People probably look at you weird. And like, you know, that, that would be my answer is there isn't a reason. If you do it, people will look at you weird. Um, because it's just not the way that people go to McDonald's. Um, does that make any sense? No, not in some sort of objective, rational way. Um, it's a merely a social construct, and it, you know you can recognize that and also go like, that's why I'm going to make you put on a shirt because today I don't feel like dealing with people looking at me and going, why didn't that parent make his kid wear a shirt? I don't feel like dealing with that today. You got to wear a shirt. Sorry, bud. You know, 
uh, like just being honest with it. Like, and it sounds so weird because like, um, it sounds almost embarrassing to say out loud because at some level it helps you, it makes me recognize uh, how many arbitrary things that I um, comply with or have to comply with uh, in order to avoid um, small aggressions. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's valuable to be honest with those sort of things because the alternative is to pretend to, 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 to play into the fiction, to pretend like, oh yes, there's a very, very good reason for this and come up with some elaborate justification like, oh, well, if you don't wear a shirt into McDonald's, uh, you know, there's a hygiene risk associated with that. And just knowing that your kid's not going to know enough about body hygiene to be able to like argue with you and say like these risks are incredibly minor and tons of stuff we do is way more risky than that hygienically and McDonald's like th there's like it's not well supported but the kid's not gonna have to argue with you but you what you do are doing there is reinforcing the idea that there is good reason for this um and when there isn't or you know you're not aware of it at least and and it's it comes with so many long-term problems of I mean that is how people's trust in their parents degrades over time um that's where you as you start getting older and you start uh untangling this bug bu big ball of twine of what you've been taught your whole life as we all do our 20s and 30s are all full of us untangling the ball of twine of things we've been taught our whole lives and we're like wait there was no reason that i had to do that I was being lied to, and and I mean, and I say 20s and 30s, but this happens in our teens. This is part of the reason, in my, I would argue, this is part of the reason of, like, rebellious teens. Um, is You know, as soon as you start having your own experiences in the world, you start untangling this twine, ball of twine of things you've been taught that are turning out to be inaccurate. And you're just setting the stage for you to later not be trusted, and specifically to not be trusted in times when it actually really matters. Because it doesn't really matter that much if your son trusts you as to whether you should wear a shirt in McDonald's. But it does matter later on that he trusts you when you say that taking heroin is a bad idea. Yeah. No, I mean, that's exactly it. And, and in fact, I'd argue that this dynamic is exactly what causes a lot of... Uh, bad and reactionary sort of behavior where you get people who um, were lied to a bunch about one thing or another. Um, you know, recent, uh, somewhat recently, you know, a lot of um, our generation, the millennial generation has sort of gone through this sort of like broad awakening of the go to college, get a job, buy a house, start a family thing. American dream that was a myth. It was a lie. It was the thing that they told us to that was, you know, maybe true for most for a lot of them, uh, but became increasingly less true. Um, and to the point that now we have a lot of people who have like crippling student debt and they don't have the ability to uh, pay for it uh, because of a myriad of reasons. And the you know, sort of coming to the realization of like, oh, you know, we we were told and promised, you know, sort of like you you go through this formulaic pattern and you you come out and society has a place for you and you go into that place and you make a decent life and you know all, you get to retire at some point and it's all very nice and uh, you know coming to the realization that that's not true, um, you know, you can see what kind of anger and frustration and stuff that, that creates and an entire adult population. Um, and, but I think that that pattern, you know, uh, is true, you know, in the same way that the adult populations pour that energy either into um, making progressive change for, um, to, to remove that um, effect for future generations, or in some cases, um, finding a scapegoat for that, that you see in some of the more extreme right-wing ideologies of like you know like actively fascist stuff um of saying you know like oh you know it's because the immigrants took our jobs or um you know increasingly bad conspiratorial things um but 
you know, I mean, in the same way that, that adults have that kind of reaction, I think teens sometimes get a little bit of that of, oh, you lied to me about X, Y, and Z. Um, you therefore, um, like, why should I even bother trusting what you have to say now? Yeah, I think that's very valid. I think you make some very valid uh, connections there that I I don't think I've even fully processed till right now. But I mean, yeah, like I went through kind of two stages of this of like when I was 16, 17, uh, falling down the like wormholes of conspiracy theories that existed among hip hop artists at the time. Because uh, that was like my kind of space that I enveloped myself within. Uh, and then now, like in, in a lot of the things that I remember being like, angry about and unpacking about a lot was this you know the, the, the rebellion it was my rebellious teenage phase and i was feeling rebellious about how like you know the war in afghanistan was going and um all this other stuff of that i was just angry about that i was angry about everything it was 2008 we were all angry about a lot but there was a lot of that that was yeah like very specific to like that kind of a age of kind of awakening to some little bits of knowledge about the the world and then yeah like then i hit 30 in 2020 and went through the exact same thing of like i feel like i've i've a lot of the roots i've went down of being frustrated and angry about i can i've seen several turnoffs along the way where i could have easily taken a turnoff and went down like conspiracy theory lane and I see that with a lot of other people who are extremely neck deep in conspiracy theories of like, I see the path of like, they went the same route I went where we were just really angry at everything and we trusted nothing anymore. And just, you know, you, you know, we've, I mean, like how we all felt about this Bob Ross documentary that came out and we're just like, we can trust nobody. Nobody is good. Bob Ross wasn't great. Who is good now? And so you get into this phase where you just trust nothing and then you can fall for a lot of things and people fall for a lot of conspiracy theories. And the next thing we know, people are taking horse medicine. Um, I think I'm out of the loop. What's wrong with Bob Ross? Oh, um, so he didn't. Honestly, I haven't watched the documentary. The worst thing I've heard so far is that he cheated on his wife, which I'm like, I mean, I'm not saying that's a good thing you should do, but in the realm of famous people who have done bad things, not worried about it. <laughs> yeah. Post post me too. I think, uh, uh yeah i can if that's the worst like i mean it's not great it's like you definitely shouldn't do that but uh he, he didn't force he didn't. people to watch like watch him jerk off into a plant um yeah <laughs> why did we both think of lewis ck at the same time <laughs> oh man you know i mean there's just so many worse people out there he didn't get us into a forever yeah, war it's not harvey weinstein right like yeah <laughs> like I'm not really that worried about it. Um, and, and that's, um, yeah, but that gets me into a whole other argument of how we like lionize public figures and then are completely crushed when we find out that they're human beings with faults, but that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you're very, you're right. I think you're very valid about that kind of being this kind of losing trust and, and yeah, and there's these very simple and mundane things like appearance and the way we're told that we should dress for certain things, if not handled correctly and if not handled honestly, can lead down that rabbit hole of just not trusting your parents or not trusting anybody. Yeah. And I, and, and since we kind of went down on a big tangent here, uh, it's somewhat related and hopefully the thread there was followed. Um, but, you know, I think as someone in the middle of it, you know, both of my kids, I've tried to let express themselves the way they want. And um, also offered some pushback on some things like, um, you know, uh, I have been a very vehement supporter of the fact that my youngest really is into pink and rainbows and unicorns and also Ninja Turtles. And, uh, you know, so he ends up with a very uh clashy sort of style where he will often wear like a ninja turtles t-shirt with like a bright pink water bottle and this like rainbow backpack thing and it's like that's fine that's his look you know he'll get to do it how he wants and at some point he'll you know hopefully be able to express himself in and not I hope that he doesn't experience a ton of bullying essentially. 
um, and I try to look out for it, you know. And in times where some of that societal level pushback does occur, you know, I try to offer counter narratives of, you know, um, actually, I have a funny story around this. I don't think I told this story already on the podcast. Hopefully not. Um, but um, when it comes to appearance, like I have a very direct example of challenging, you know, uh, a a thing because uh, it was back in early 2020 that um, a that my oldest said something about like, oh, this person's a girl. They have long hair. And I was like, boys can have long hair. That's not a thing. Like there are boys with longer hair than your mom. And he was like, what? I was like, I had long hair in high school. And he was like, I have to see this. So like I pulled up, I dug way back into my Facebook archives and found a picture of me with long hair back in high school uh, or really at the start of college and showed him. And he was just like, what? And then he looked, he like processed it for a minute and looked at me and was like, could you do it again? And I was like, yeah, I just have to not cut my hair. So I started not cutting my hair. Uh, really, I guess this was technically in 2019. Uh, Cause it was like, I grew it out for a few months. So it kind of got, you know, long enough to be like, you know, long for a boy um, to sort of show that it was doing that. And he was like, yeah, it looks cool. It's cool. I like it. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm getting a lot of positive feedback from the kids and my wife kind of likes it. So I'll keep growing it out for a little bit longer. And then it was March, 2020. And then I couldn't get a haircut. Uh, <laughs> and then it got long enough that strangers started commenting on it. Uh, but they, you know, they're all saying nice things right now. So uh, it made me want to keep it. Uh, first time I ever got a, co- a compliment from a random stranger. It was about my hair at like the age of 33 um uh but anyway um yeah so that was i mean like the reason i have long hair in the first place is partially as a direct challenge to a gendered stereotype that my son picked up and saying like that's bs and i will show you it's bs because i will have long hair and no one will look at me and be like that's a girl like you know it's it's helped by the fact that um you know, I also have some facial hair. Uh, so there's a very obvious signal there. Um, but, you know, even even when I was in high school and I didn't have facial hair and had long hair, people didn't mistake me for a girl. They're like, it's a dude with long hair. Like, it's just like the only people that ever mistook me for a girl when I was, even when I didn't have facial hair were like little kids. <laughs> the exact people that, I was like, no, that's not, you have a bad model of how to detect men and women. To be fair, adults have a bad model of how to detect men and women too, but <laughs> um, the kids have an especially bad one. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I have, uh, I try very hard to let them express themselves and not to gender anything that they, you know, express interest in. You know, I don't tell them, don't do X, it's for girls, don't do Y, or do Y, it's for boys. Um, you know, I do try to be honest with them if they ask, like, you know, is this a girl thing? I'll be like, well, I think a lot of people would see it that way. It's there, there aren't things that are for boys or girls, but if you're asking if people will see it that way, some people will, but I think those people are wrong, but like not wanting, I, I, you also don't want to like put your kids in the place of being like trapped. Like you don't want your kids to, if they're saying things like that, it's often because they've experienced it before and they're not wanting to experience it again um you should not be um you know so looking to be so ideologically pure i guess that like you don't you aren't honest with your kids about like you know societal effects still exist and if you're looking to avoid those things you're going to have to play into this and it does suck and it is dumb and we should talk about it and be open about it but i'm going to be honest with you like if you go to school in a dress, people will make fun of you. Um, yeah. uh, as much as that sucks. Yeah, and I think there's, you know, there's validity in understanding that, like, um, having long hair is not necessarily masculine or feminine. However, if you wish to present yourself as more feminine, more feminine, and you 
personally feel like growing out your your hair reinforces your personal femininity, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, if you um, are, you know, I mean, same thing in the reverse, and and, and this is more because I really can't talk about, uh, you know, wishing to present as feminine because I present as masculine. Uh, I, I feel I, I I am masculine, and uh, but you know, like yeah. So for me, um, I you know there are certain things that I definitely do because I feel like that personally for me represents my you know it reinforces my personal identification of as masculine it helps me feel like my masculine self um and it's important to recognize that you know that can those same things for other people may help them reinforce their feeling as their feminine self there's nothing wrong with that it's it's your own definition it's your own like masculinity is your own thing to define it's not somebody else's to define i guess is the short of what i'm trying to say yeah for sure so moving on to our final uh, topic for the past three episodes, testosterone, um, which we've hit on this topic now several times. And I think our last episode actually was an excellent deep dive into this discussion um, with folks who had a much more diverse, inclusive and encompassing perspective about testosterone than either of us do. Uh, and I think it was an incredibly valuable episode. I cannot recommend enough that folks just scroll back one more episode and listen to that if you haven't already. Um, and I think what I almost would want to talk about more than the contents of that episode, because within that episode, we talked a lot about parenting and, 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 and growing up, um, uh, um, going through puberty and growing up and having testosterone and not having testosterone, all of those kind of different differences we talked a lot about last week. Uh, I think what I really want to focus on this week is discussing the importance of having those type of discussions with folks with varying perspectives from our own, with different life experiences of our own, and teaching the value and critical importance of that to our kids. Of like, you have to learn how to have these conversations and experiences with folks. Uh, outside your own perspective and growing your own circle of acquaintances beyond your own perspective and knowledge. Yeah. Um, I um, also found that discussion very enlightening. And I also don't feel like there's a great deal to add at this point. You know, like if we just testosterone is not the kind of thing that you have a lot of discussions with kids about, but it is very relevant to the topic of masculinity. I think there's a degree of like, similarly to other things we've discussed uh, here and previously of recognizing that there are some stereotypes and, and incorrect information around this common misconceptions and whatnot that you should attempt to clarify and beat down as you see your kids regurgitate them be like, oh no, that's not true. You know, if uh, someone, you know, talks about how, you know, you know, you know, having lots of testosterone makes them like super manly or whatever, like, oh, that has nothing to do with it. Like, you know, pushing back on those kind of things as they come up. But for the most part, I feel like it's not a thing that, you know, that you're going to have tons of conversations with your kids about. It's not like really important, like sound like we're going to have the testosterone talk now, you know, um, that said, um, you know, if your kid is, uh, coming out as trans or something like that, that's a very different situation in which case, like, yeah, you probably do have to have a talk about that in a very different sense, in a sense that quite frankly, I'm not qualified to talk about because I don't have any personal experience with it. And as far as I know, currently, none of my kids are, um, transgender and they wouldn't be old enough if they were to have discussions about hormones anyway. So uh, I don't have a whole lot to add about it. Uh, just that, you know, in general, you know, sort of pushing back on the cultural sort of um, things as they come up, uh, you know, just to, trying to equip your kids with the tools to like ask 
good questions about things without just taking everything society hands them at face value. Um, yeah, applies here, you know, be aware of what things are, you know, tr and ask yourself like what things are made up, what things are real, um, have a skeptical mind about it and, you know, make sure to try to communicate, you know, don't let, don't let them get settled on a thing that's like very odd that they think is like very obviously true and everyone should know that this is the reality. Always give them tools to question and reflect rather than uh, try to just give them what you think is the absolute objective truth because I don't think that, you know, you're gonna, I think that will equip them better to be asked to, to face the, um, questions that they will face both when it comes to you know what it means to be masculine and testosterone and their own gender and all that stuff but like everything uh, all the hard questions of the world are better approached from a perspective of being um of questioning what's obvious because um a lot of power is hidden in uh normal in things that you know, it's always the things that are normal that people don't want you to investigate. Uh, I say people, like uh, people who benefit from the current power structure don't want you to investigate. Um, and getting your kids into a habit of questioning that, uh, that framing, questioning the framing of what's normal um, is very important. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree completely. And I mean, and also this, you know, there, there's an important element of, as parents, is understanding that our kids' uh, experiences and perspectives on the world are probably going to be vastly different than our own. And and I think there was like a lot of, like for me, one of the things to, to really process after the last, after last week's episode was just how different uh, they are, are both of our guests uh, had very different experiences growing up than I did involving their own like gender identity and the the way that they experienced and learned their own gender identity uh, was of course of course very different than my own and having those as adults and as parents or future parents having those conversations with folks or at the very least listening to the input uh from or you know conversations from uh folks who have those diverse uh experiences is incredibly uh important to understanding therefore being able to respect and therefore being able to love our kids for who they are like it is very hard to to, to cover all of those bases if you if you don't have the ability to empathize and understand to some degree what somebody is going through if does that make sense what i'm trying to say yeah for sure and uh you know i i just yeah i think it's incredibly valuable to to learn and to teach the ability to just listen to other people who have been through things that you have not been through rather than making your own presumptions about what it must have been like or what it may be like currently. Um, and I think that's just something very valuable that I really just want future parents, future fathers or current fathers to listen and understand. Because I mean, like, I, I think for so many of us, one of the most frustrating things growing up with Boomer and Gen X men was an inability for them to understand the world outside of their own binocular vision, right? Like, mm -hmm. one of the most common complaints I hear is that, well, my dad was, you know, he, he's really great. I love him. He's wonderful. But, you know, he just has his specific view of the world and really doesn't know how to process anything different. Um, and I, so I, I think one of the most valuable things to take, the, the biggest lesson to take from that is that one of the most valuable things we can all do is not be that way. Like have a broader perspective, empathy, and understanding of the world around you. And uh, you're not going to get that unless you spend time around folks with different perspectives than your own. And also it's important that if you're, you can't be inclusive unless you uh, have that, that, that 
experience of diversity. You can't be inclusive. You can't be inclusive in the way that you talk about things. And it's very important when you're dealing with your kids is to be inclusive and not make them feel othered, like they are different, like there was something wrong for wrong with them. Um, you need to have that broad understanding of the world and of experiences. For sure. Yeah, I think in it's it's true with a lot of difficult issues in that you know you're just better off uh listening twice as much as you talk uh and i say that as someone who deeply loves the sound of their own voice and loves to have conversations and loves to i mean part of a podcast so (laughs) um How bold of us as podcasters to tell everyone else at home on their one-way speaker that they should listen and not talk. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, so there's a little bit of irony there that I recognize. Um, But, you know, I I think that, um, you know, the the testosterone conversation was a great example of, you know, um, I have spent lots of time uh watching uh you know trans creators and uh um you know listening to you know philosophy of gender stuff like that and you know spending a lot of time thinking about it on my own and you know i still learned a ton in just one conversation with some actual trans people uh about you know perspectives and stuff now uh uh, that's not to say that that uh you know all that effort before was not valuable it was and i learned a lot in those things too um but it is to say that there is at some level no um substituting uh, listening to and understanding the experiences of people who have different perspective than you, not necessarily even because um, they're right. Um, uh, now, I have no uh, complaints about what either of our guests said. Uh, that's not where I'm getting at. Uh, I mostly just say, like, you know, um, that that even 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 understanding the perspective of people that you don't agree with or think are mistaken in some way is helpful to be able to understand where they're coming from as human beings because the thing you always have to remember is uh every time i have ever been wrong about something it felt prior to me figuring out that i was wrong about that thing it felt like i was right about it uh and you know uh even if you're ultimately right about something, listening to someone who's disagreeing with you and trying to understand why they feel that they're right, what things are they thinking about, what things do they value that makes them think that they are correct, is helpful for understanding how to best approach conversations with people that you disagree with. Um, It's tough. Um, But, you know, all that said to all that said to basically say like listening is incredibly valuable, not just because uh, you learn something more, a lot more things new, but also just because it helps you gain a better understanding of uh, whatever kind of person that you're talking to. I, I agree 100%. I mean, like a, a direct example I can give of this, and this isn't, of course, talking to a real living person, but uh, it, it still have has elements of that. And that is, uh, I recently read through the autobiography of Malcolm X, and I disagree with him on a lot of things, specifically regarding um, uh, Islam and uh, his views regarding the nation of Islam and uh uh, also, the things that he says about women and the ways that, in, that he speaks of his wife or things that... There's a lot that I really strongly disagree with. That being said, his views and perspective as a black man in America is invaluable and important to understanding his views that I don't just that I don't agree with you know the views that he has that I don't agree with it is important to 
listen to his own words and his own story to lead me to why he believes the things that he does, and that does give some validity to things that I think are inaccurate, but also valid from his perspective and where he's coming from. Um, and that's just a very, uh, very specific little example that isn't ideal or perfect in any kind of a way, but I don't want to give like, you know, I don't want to give away personal examples with people who I personally know who I disagree with, uh, cause that's a little rude, but, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, there's, there's, you know, yeah, you, you're not, don't, don't just listen to people you agree with, uh, and don't go into every conversation thinking uh, from in thinking about it in a in a framework of what you agree with and what you disagree with because that's just a dichotomy that isn't really very useful in the world um it's uh it's it, it's just not as you move forward in the world you find that it's less and less that dichotomous and i, and I think it's also valuable to not teach that kind of a dichotomous perspective of the world to our kids Completely agree. Uh, do you have any more, uh, anything else you want to hit on this week? Or uh, is that kind of do us in for this episode? I think that does us in for this episode. Cool. Uh, do you have any organizations or anything else you would like to plug? Mm, not this week. Me neither. I'm going to actually do no plugs. So what I am going to ask instead is uh, folks who are listening, regularly listening or irregularly listening, uh, give us a shout out or a reach out in DMs or comments or any other way on Facebook or on Twitter. We are at Molding Masculinity on Facebook and I am at hand, uh, Handguns Pod on Twitter. And uh, let us know if there's an organization you would like us to shout out uh, or give a little bit of information about. Or uh, I mean, it's, it's free advertising for organizations that are doing good things in the community. Uh, we don't want any money. Uh, we just want to spread the word about organizations that are doing good things. So with that being said, have a wonderful evening, afternoon, morning, or whatever time of day it is. Thank you.